0: Welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. Matt Pram, Eric Scopel here. Jumping right in. <laughs> Jumping right in. Uh, not even sitting down when we start this thing. <laughs> um, we're recording this fresh off of Oregon's 48-28 victory over uh, the Arizona Wildcats. I think they're what ranked twenty third in the country. I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't. Unfortunately, they don't have a ranking
1: list in here. But um, they were seven and three coming in, and no longer seven and three going out.
0: Yeah, and they're not going to be ranked either. Uh, Oregon comes out of this victory, so we don't have Taggart's you know film review like we usually do. Right. Um, uh, but we felt like it was something that we needed to get up right away because this was a big win for the program. Bull eligibility, Justin Herbert back, uh, Royce Freeman sets a record. Uh, he's back as well, scoring four touchdowns. Just an overall big win and kind of what you talked about in a nutshell, kind of the season for this football team.
1: They've been through so much, and I think to be where they are now, and, and where they are now is probably not where they would have liked to have been coming into this season. They're 6-5, and five, but they have a chance to win eight games this year if they beat Oregon State next week and, and then a bowl game sometime in December. But with what they've gone through without their quarterback, five weeks took their lumps, lost four or five games. Frankly, it wasn't pretty a lot. I mean, those four losses had a hard time scoring points. Didn't score in I think any of the second halves there. Um, but you have to appreciate what they were able to do. Kind of stick with it, get their quarterback out uh, back, and then come out and, and kind of put it to a team that is pretty well respected. That is probably probably the surprise team in the back twelve. And and it, and it wasn't really all that competitive. After about the five minute mark of the the third quarter. So, I I think a huge tip of the cap. And and frankly, you know, if they lose this game, you kind of wonder where their mindset is. But they get their quarterback back on the field. He looks probably not perfect, but he was pretty good, I felt. Um, And and they kind of, the season kind of put that dark patch pack behind them. and, And now they're moving forward with an opportunity to finish the season, I think, really, really strong.
0: I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on what we've learned from this team. Because with Justin Herbert out, or prior to Justin Herbert's injury, uh, Oregon's offense was statistically the best in the country. Mm-hmm. They were averaging 49.8 points per game. Um, they were throwing the ball. They were running the ball. You had a very tough time stopping them. Right. And then when he went down with that injury, that broken collarbone week five against uh, week six, excuse me, against uh, California. Uh, week five, um, the offense came to a standstill. Yeah. I mean, they—it was like they were walking through sand with wet boots that were cemented <laughs> to the ground. The offense was just terrible. You know, you don't want to pile on Braxton Burmeister because we've said it time and time again on this podcast. Players have talked about it, coaches have talked about it. He was thrust into into a tough spot. But that being said, the offense was just putrid.
1: Um, Average less than ten points in the four losses. Yeah,
0: they come back and they score forty-eight points again. It's like they they never left. Herbert had never left the program. Uh, what means more that went that, the offensive production, what they did, or the fact that they took a guy that you could quite honestly say probably should have been. The second favorite for the Heisman and Khalil Tate.
1: Maybe the favorite if he started every game. Yeah,
0: and absolutely shut him down. They only scored seven points in the third quarter, seven points in the second half. Tate didn't have, I think, not even 200 all-purpose yards, yards from scrimmage, yeah. when typically he comes in getting 400 or so. Yeah. I mean, they, they completely shut him down. Are you more impressed with the defense or the offense?
1: That's a really hard question. You know, I just did my grades up on the website, um, and I gave both of them an A, so I guess I'm equally impressed. But I think probably the defense, because I think we'd seen the offense do this. We mentioned it the four games prior to Herbert's injury. You know, they were averaging about this number of points per game. We'd seen Royce Freeman do this. We knew Justin Herbert was capable of this. I was not confident that Oregon had this in them, that they could take a guy, Khalil Tate, who had run for 137 yards at minimum in every one of the six starts and sometimes passed surpassed the 200 yard mark even the 300 yard mark and to completely bottle him up in mean, 14 carries 32 yards that is remarkable. We talked about one of the keys was you're not going to shut him down you're going to have to slow him down and limit some of the stuff. Well I think they they pretty much shut him down. I mean, yeah. 2 yards a carry. He really did you never really saw those wheels come into play at one long run for 13 yards, but other than that it was a lot of you know, scrambling for his life and getting a, a yard here or there, you know, three or four yards. And I just think, with the injuries they've had at inside linebacker, with kind of the question marks about where this team was mentally to come out, take a guy who, 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 frankly, if he would have played the whole season, might be on pace for running for over two thousand yeah. yards and totally bottle him up. That to me was was really, really impressive.
0: I just I agree with you. I think it's more about this defense because going in, we were kind of talking about look, if Oregon can just keep Tate under 200 yards, right. that's, a, that's a victory. They kept him under 50, yeah. um, under 40. Yeah. Uh, that That's just astronomical. I mean, that's better than USC did, and USC is probably the best team in the conference with one of the better defenses in the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just blown away at how impressive the defense was. We talked about... You know, the depth that linebacker, that, you know, Oregon's linebackers are going to have to play well, and the guys that play can't come off the field. I have to be Ironmen. They did that. They dominated, I think. I, I think, in particular, Troy Dye finished with 11 tackles. I think it's his sixth double digit tackle performance this season, his 11th of his two year career at Oregon. He's, He's etching himself as one of the greatest linebackers to, to play at Oregon uh, in just two seasons. Um, and then the outside guys, I, I thought they were tremendous. Uh, and containing uh, uh, Khalil Tate. And I think we don't give Justin Hollins and Lamar Winston and Jonah Moy and Fotuliatu Liatu, and I'll, I'll even throw in the D-end Jalen Jelks, yeah. uh, enough credit of just how athletic they are. They, that group of guys, there's going to be a couple of them that are going to play on Sundays. and Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm just astonished at how much they've improved, and you hate to harken back to the previous staff and you pile on them. I mean, but it's it's pretty clear this defense. You know, going in, we thought there was some, some concerns. They've got some depth issues, but the way they've played against Utah, the way they played uh, uh, tonight I mean, against, and
1: even even in losses, like they they, they held their own against Washington State. Yeah. It's just the offense was so incapable that they weren't really given much of an opportunity. in tonight. With an offensive back at full steam, you saw kind of what they were capable of. And this is a very, very capable defense that can shut down a very good offense. I think Arizona was averaging like 44 points coming in. They scored 28.
0: Uh, some other notable achievements from this game. Royce Freeman now has 5,499 career rushing yards. Uh, that's ninth most in NCAA history. Just 41 yards shy of Cedric Benson for eighth all-time NCAA history. His four touchdowns on the ground gave him 62 total touchdowns for his career, which, uh, pushed him past a tie with Lamichael James. Uh, he's now the school's all-time rushing leader. Um, that's, I think, something we have to acknowledge right. in particular about, about Freeman. Um, you also saw Arion Springs record two pass breakups to move past Ifo Olamu for fourth, fourth all-time at Oregon with 40 pass breakups in his career. Uh, we've, we've seen, uh, Aiden Schneider go two for three on field goal attempts and is now tied with Jared Siegel for the uh, all-time lead with 49 career makes. Had a chance to break it at the very end there, but just missed it. Uh, and then, you know, we touched on it. We've seen this offense before uh, where they have averaging, you know, 50 points a game, essentially. Uh, Oregon's 48 points were the most they, they've scored since all the way back to Wyoming as crazy as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they won that game 49-13 mm-hmm. at, at Wyoming September 16th. Uh, this is the second highest to- highest total since that game. And quite honestly, they might hit 60 next week against the Beavers. The Beavers are terrible. And now that Herbert's got a game under his belt, I yeah. think he looked rusty. He
1: did. And yeah, and we, we were concerned about that. Uh, fortunately for Oregon, they were able to have enough around them to, to kind of mitigate that. But Probably his worst passing day this season, um, certainly. 14-21, to 21, one interception, 235 and a touchdown. Missed a couple guys. The interception he had, a couple guys open, and, and kind of just the ball sailed over over the player's head. And that was a weird play we could mention, too. I mean, they, they should have right. been a touchdown, but they called them a taunting penalty. So they, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not calling the years, but... Um, but, yeah, I don't think Justin was quite 100% in terms of – and you don't expect him to. I mean, he's yeah. been out for six weeks. I thought some of his
0: deep balls that he threw were underthrown. Yeah. And, you know, that's just a sign of a guy not being able to play. I know it's his left
1: shoulder, but right.
0: still, I, I just think he looked, he looked off a little bit. He did. and But, but
1: still, I mean – But still very, very looked, good. Like, good enough to win was definitely the better passing quarterback of the two. And strange as it is to say – technically was a better running quarterback of the two. <laughs> he had 40 yards rushing um, compared to Tate's 32 and actually kind of a funny moment, moment in post game with Jake Hansen, the Oregon Center, saying, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And then, and then turned, looked at Herbert. And, and apologized to him for, for having to say that. But, I mean, that's not really Herbert's bread and butter, but he did have a 40-yard touchdown run in the in the first quarter. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think it was his best game. But with him back, even though he wasn't at 100%, you saw the whole offense elevated because they've basically been playing with, I don't know, all their limbs behind their back yeah. for the past six weeks without him because there was no threat to pass. Just kind of that threat that, hey, we can we can do this a little bit, forces Arizona to kind of have a couple guys a couple steps back further than where they normally would be and, and allows for...
0: 353 yards on the ground, five touchdowns,
1: yeah. uh, a team average, and
0: understand that this... Takes into account Herbert getting sacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also takes into account running receivers with a couple negative plays. Dylan Mitchell had a negative nine-yard run. 7.1-yard average against this uh, Arizona defense. And look, we we said coming in, this Arizona defense wasn't very good. No. And there was an opportunity for Oregon to do this. But to do it and actually – to say that they could mm-hmm. and then to actually go out and do it with two weeks off of break rest – Playing with a quarterback who hasn't played in seven weeks, exactly Uh that's damn impressive no matter who you're playing.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and, and I think you have to be encouraged by what you saw from Royce Freeman. Had not found the end zone, and like crazy to say, he hadn't had scored in like seven eight weeks. weeks. Eight weeks, was it? Yeah, seven games in eight weeks. Goes out and scores four touchdowns. Tony Brooks, James, looks great. You have to be encouraged about what you've got in the backfield with those two going forward. I think –
0: Sorry to cut you off. I think Tony Brooks James showed us a lot in this game, and I think he did it again, too, uh, against Utah, because there's been a lot of discussion of who's the primary back next season when when Freeman's gone. Right, exactly. In particular tonight, Tony Brooks James had a lot of runs where he finished falling forward or breaking. He had a couple tackles where we're way high up, and Freeman's 21, Brooks is 20. He ran over some dudes, and I thought I was. I honestly thought, you know, at first, oh wow, that's I didn't realize Royce was in the game. Yeah. But you know, then you quickly realized they small. It's a smaller guy, but
1: he showed me a lot tonight. I, I, yeah, I think, and I think you have to be confident. I was going to get to that. You have to be confident that he's he's going to be that bell count next year. And yeah. I think early on in the season, you really struggled, and you were kind of going, okay is it Darian Felix? Is it one of these two freshmen that are coming in next year? Is it CJ Verdell who hasn't played because of a red shirt right. A redshirt, right. redshirt, true freshman. Um, but I, I don't think there's any question. Tony Brooks-James will be the, the guy next year, and I'm sure they'll mix in Felix and Verdell and maybe a couple of these true freshmen next year. But he ran really, really hard, and it wasn't just get to the outside and run really fast. It was between the tackles, running into guys, staying on his feet. He's got great balance. Um but yeah, those guys ran really well, and then against again credit to that offensive line for creating some big holes up there. Those guys, even without Jake Pasarchik, who was out with an injury, um, managed to kind of you know dominate up front. You know, you, if you want to be nitpick, they had a couple of holding penalties, holding penalties, a couple of uh, pre-snap false start penalties. But overall, I thought that just the offense as a whole, but that offensive line really set the tone up up front.
0: This sets up Oregon now going into the Civil War this coming week, uh, six and five overall. Uh, the Ducks now have an opportunity to get their 7th win of the regular season. Uh, 8 wins now is on the table because they've qualified for a bowl game after not getting there last season, which was something a lot of the seniors talked about today that spoke. It uh, was something that Willie Taggart also spoke about, getting to that bowl game. And having this program, uh, obviously they were competing when they were freshmen, true freshmen. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are seniors on, on the team that are true freshmen. There's a couple red shirts. Um, but a majority of them are true. When they were when they arrived, <coughs> uh, Oregon was playing for a national championship.
1: Right, their first year,
0: and we're not equating this season to to the success of the 2014 season. But you, they came. A lot of these guys came back. In particular, Royce Freeman. Not obviously, the championship was their goal. Mm-hmm. But realistically, thinking, I think if you give them a true serum, they probably realize. That's probably, yeah, probably not gonna happen. Probably not gonna
1: happen. Four, go from four and eight to thirteen and zero unlikely.
0: <laughs> but to set this program back on the right path to yeah. getting to fourteen and zero and getting having an opportunity to play uh, in a in a national championship game again, and they have done that. They, they they are now two wins, a net two wins from last season's win total of four and eight. They're now six and five. They can get to doubling their win total, uh, and quite honestly, if they do that. Coupled with the recruiting class that Willie Taggart has coming in, yeah. uh, and the guys coming back, they're going to be a top twenty team next season. And there's still so there's still a lot for this the senior class to play for because they want to leave this program in a better position. than I was going to
1: say that there's 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 reason for a lot of optimism, especially if Oregon goes out and beats Oregon State up pretty good, which I think the expectation right now, especially looking at what's going on in Corvallis, they're one and ten, have not been competitive in a lot of their games. Um, if they win that game, they go win their bowl game. They're, they're eight and five. You know, you look at them with that recruiting class they have coming in with a, kind of that positive momentum at the end of the year, and I don't think there's any reason why this isn't a team that's getting a lot of buzz about being a potential Pac-12 champion next year, Right. Um, especially with what's going on in Washington, some of the uh, kind of uncertainty around the conference, but I, I think Oregon finishing strong here is putting themselves in position to be at least considered one of those top-tier teams in the conference next year, which would not have been the case if they would have lost this game and then maybe dropped a game to Oregon State and finished at five and seven, you probably would have been looking at like is this team you know, is, what's this team gonna be like? Is this team gonna win six games next year?
0: I mean, these are the types of games these are learning experiences for a young football team. There's a lot of sophomores out there, there's a lot right. of true Watch freshmen out there. Uh there's a couple juniors that are playing uh on this team that are gonna come back next year. And while the Bulls, the difference between the Vegas Bull and the uh I can't the Phoenix Bowl, whatever that name, that crazy name that it is now. I, I can't remember. And that tells you exactly my point. You don't there's, know the name of the bowl. Right? There's not much difference in terms of the importance of these bowls, uh, whether it's the the one in Phoenix, whether it's the Las Vegas Bowl, whether it's the Boca Raton Bowl in Florida that they're potentially linked to, or the Fort Worth Bowl uh, and the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, winning those games. The result is all the same. It doesn't matter what one it comes from. It's getting that eighth win, ending the season on a potential three-game winning streak, and setting yourself up for a, a, a top twenty-five preseason ranking in 2018. Uh, it doesn't matter which one you go to. You know, you don't win extra bonus points or what have you of winning these games. Yeah, um, they're all the lower-level bulls. but it's it's these games are you know are important to you know, the Civil War. This game tonight against. Uh, Against Arizona, the bull game that they're now going to play in is finding ways to win. You know, games you should the Civil War and doing it convincingly. Mm-hmm. Finding games uh, to win against quality ranked opponents. Uh, like they did tonight against Arizona, and then finding ways and proving that you can win games and bowl games when there's a lot of attention on you and focus on you in a, for a big-game-type ap- atmosphere. Uh, and those are all things that this team needs to learn going forward into next season as well.
1: Absolutely. With it, with such a young team, you know, especially you can't diminish the value of the extra weeks of practice leading up Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. Missing out on bowl eligibility, you know, I know if, if you're having a tough season, some fans are like, "Let's just get the season over with and rebuild the next year." Well, that actually that is, hurts you. That, that is not a good thing. You want to make sure you make a bowl. You get you know two to four weeks of extra practice to, to kind of build your team together um, going forward. Especially with such a young group, like you mentioned, you take advantage of that. And I think there's a lot of learning that can that can be taken away from from doing something like that. So absolutely, this is this is a, a monumental win just in terms of setting this team up to play a bowl game, and, and then also just Once again, I think, in in terms of just recovering from what's been a a really really disappointing season. I mean, it kind of felt like, in a way, they got kind of kicked in the nuts there. With you lose a quarterback like Justin Herbert, and you're first to to play somebody who who unfortunately was not really able to to cut it at this level. And um, I think again, a lot of kudos deserved for this team for bouncing back, had an extra week to repair, and coming out and on both sides of the ball and dominating.
0: Should we address the topic in the room of? Uh, Coach, which which one is (laughs) (laughs) it? There was a couple of elephants in the room uh, for this program. Uh, It seems like second week in a row or second game in a row, Taggart's had to deal with coaching rumors. Going into the Washington game, it was uh, his link to the Florida job, uh, and he quickly shut that one down in in a sense uh, and, and talked about you know, how all the focus needed to be on Washington that week and that uh he hadn't been contacted by Florida didn't say that he was not interested. Right. Uh so that door was crept open a little bit. Um and then going into this week on it didn't happen until Friday, uh but Gene Wojowski of ESPN reported that uh on Sports Center that Taggart was looking to leave Oregon and that he
1: was unhappy here. Like, that was sort of a off the – I don't know. I'm not sure how much legitimacy you make out of a comment like that. It kind of felt like off the cuff. Like, oh, but this Taggart guy, he's been linked to other jobs. We'll throw his name out right. there. So I, I don't know how much to take that. But he was asked in the post game to address that, was asked if he was unhappy here. And he told reporters, do I look like I'm unhappy? <laughs> and now it's easy to say that after you after you have a big win and you got a smile on your face and you're able to – Sit down when you start the interview saying, who has it better than us? Nobody. Right, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So clearly he was in a good mood. But, you know, I think the statement holds true. And, and you actually understood the nuance better than I did of kind of what ensued afterwards with some kind of interesting back and forth between he and a couple of media members. Yeah,
0: there's a theory that <laughs> NBC Sports Northwest's uh, beat reporter Aaron Fentress has that when Taggart is lying uh, or or trying to dodge an answer when we made know. What it is, you know, the answer to that question is, yeah. and trying to get him to confirm it. Uh, Fentress believes when Taggart leans back and forth in his interviews. If you go back, uh, I think the bye week, maybe I, I maybe asked. I think it was when I asked Taggart a question about Herbert's availability. Uh, he started going back and forth a little bit uh, and and said he, you know, day to day, don't know yet. Yeah. And later tonight, he actually acknowledged the fact that.
1: He wasn't rocking he, back and he, forth.
0: Uh, he well, first he acknowledged that you know Herbert was available last week, two weeks. He, he, he could have played if they had a bye week, a game last right. last week uh, during their bye. But um, and then Taggart also acknowledged when he was asked, you know, do I look happy? He made a point, look, I'm not rocking. I'm not <laughs> like he acknowledged his tell. You know, I thought that was pretty funny. But um, I what was he supposed to say in that situation? You're right. I mean, it, it's difficult to you know. Get a true feel, uh, but yeah. he said all the right things. And you know, I, looking at that coaching rumor stuff, they were Gene Wajowski was talking about the Ole Miss job, which is a total dumpster fire job right now. And they're about to be put on at least NCAA probation. At the, at the least, at the I least. Mean, there's
1: a lot of smoke to that fire.
0: And look, Florida opens, and they you know it's open right now. They offer Tacker the job. I think it's reasonable to expect him to go to, and take that job. Mm-hmm. Florida State opens up, and everyone might say, whoa, 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 Florida State. Oh, yeah, opens. Why up. is that opening up? Uh, Jimbo, Fitney, you believe the rumor, mill? Jimbo Fisher is looking at maybe having a fresh start somewhere. And Texas A&M uh, is kind of that school that he's been linked to. <coughs> um, that opens up, and they call Taggart. He's probably going to go. I would go in his position. Mm-hmm. You, you get a job that's back to where you're from, where your roots are from. It's maybe an hour and a half north of where you're originally from, but the pay is equal. The facilities are equal, if not better. Uh, the pay is probably better. And the recruiting hotbed is a hell of a lot better than it is here <laughs> at Oregon. Um, you're not. There's nothing connecting you to, to Oregon besides the job you just got here from. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go. But... Taggart's not gonna ruin his reputation in one year, uh, of, at, at Oregon to go for a job like Ole Miss. He, he's gonna go for a tier one, which is a school like Florida State, a school like Alabama, a, a school like Auburn or Ohio State. You know, programs that have rich traditions and hot recruiting beds have won national championships and you could be the alpha dog of the alpha dogs if you get the right staff together and things fall correctly for you very quickly. Or he'll go to a Tier 2 school, which is a lot like Oregon. you know, Still a top 20, top 10, 15-ish type job. Has a couple blemishes. Maybe not a recruiting hotbed like Oregon currently has, but has everything else set up. He's not going to go for Ole Miss, which doesn't have a recruiting hotbed, doesn't have a huge – cult following like an Oregon or a Florida state or what have you. Doesn't have the facilities that Oregon has or Florida or Florida state. Doesn't have the winning tradition that all these programs have. And on top of that, like you mentioned, they're probably going to be on NCAA probation. You know, so, I don't believe in that job. You know, believe he's going to go to to Ole Miss. Maybe Tennessee if they give him a call. Maybe he considers it. I, I don't know. But right now he's saying all the right things. And I don't think duck fans need to be panicked, but they just need to also be aware this is probably going to happen every off season.
1: And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing that your coach. That, yeah, that, that, that means you hired. Yeah, you hired You've got a good coach in place, and then obviously, people want what you want. That means you have something yeah, that's special. Yeah, and and so yeah, I mean, that, that take it take it for what it's worth. Right now, I don't think I think we've we've come to the conclusion that I, I wouldn't spend too much time, you know, or lose too much sleep, staying up worrying about it. But at the same time. Willie Taggart's going to be a hot commodity because he's he's a, a very charismatic guy. He's he's a pretty proven track record in terms of his coaching. He's a tremendous recruiter, and those type of attributes are very attractive for for major college football programs. and And this might be a dance that you have to to walk every every off season um, until you know some sort of stability is is developed here. Until he develops relationships. Until he he considers this home, and and that may happen at some point, and it may not. And if if it doesn't, you have to figure out plan B. and Obviously, worst-case scenario would be he leaves now and, and you kind of are left in, in ruins after one year.
0: And uh, that's worst-case. And yeah, I don't that's think that's
1: all that likely. Something
0: I don't think either of us think is all that likely going to happen. And, you know, you look at this program where it's at, where it's going, you know, one of the the rumor mills, if you will, if you think, if you want to go into that conspiracy theorist deep dive here is that, you know, one of the considerations of him wanting to leave here is he doesn't think – uh, it was reported that he doesn't think he could sustain the recruiting success here. And I, don't, I don't understand that because he's got a top six recruiting class right. Uh, right now that he's set to sign in about a month. And if he adds a couple more guys that are realistic options, they might sign the most five stars in, in school program history for one season. They might clean up in the, the top prospects in the Northwest. They might... Uh, finish with a top three recruiting class in the country. Number one, while probably unlikely, is still attainable. Uh, he's frankly done the best recruiting job we've ever seen at Oregon. And, you know, now it's a matter of just staying here long enough to coach these guys. Absolutely. Uh, that's gonna do it for us, I think, for this podcast recap of. Uh, the Arizona game, Oregon again wins forty-eight to twenty-eight, improves to six and five on the season. Bowl eligible now. Play the uh, Oregon State Beavers this Saturday. Another four o'clock kickoff. I love these four these are o'clock. Great. We get home at you know a little late, but at the same time we get to watch a little football yeah. throughout the day. Uh, and I, I think the setting is just perfect. Four, right. 4 p.m. kickoffs are great. Uh, that game is going to be on ESPN two, I believe. First ESPN game of
1: the year, I think, for Oregon. It's been a while.
0: Might, they might have had one early in the season, but, yeah, you, you might be right. I, I wouldn't hold my guess uh, 100%. But uh, Oregon now 6-5 and five on the season, looking to get to 7-5. and five. We'll preview this uh, Civil War game later on this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, and before we wrap things up, you can go to iTunes and follow us. Uh, find all our podcasts by searching for the Duck Territory podcast for free. Also go to duckterritory.com. Until uh, we talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the other side.
1: See you guys.